The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? It was a great weekend, especially in the world of football. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. Glad that you could join me once again for Know the Score. Know the Score is being brought to you by CSPN. You can find the CSPN and Know the Score on the web at www.cspn.us. So we'll get right into it. We haven't had a couple of shows in a while here since the playoffs started. So we're right here in the midst coming into Championship Sunday. All of the flim flam has been, you know, weeded through. The Cowboys got beat. So the, everything is right with the playoff picture. So we get to the oh, NFC game in first. your world, yes. Uh, no, nothing, yes. nothing's right in my world, sir. This Bruce Allen <laughs> is still in charge of things. Nothing is right. But uh, but but we're gonna yeah. talk about we're gonna talk about somebody who came from my world, Mr. Sean McVay and his Rams advancing to the Super Bowl as they defeated the Saints in the Superdome, twenty six to twenty three, in mm-hmm. overtime. Of course, the missed pass <laughs> interference is what everybody's gonna lead to, and that's the big talking point. And it you know they want to make a major shift and. What can be reviewed can pass interference finally be a reviewable call in the NFL. So, Dwayne, I'm not going to hold you back. I'm going to let you have your chance here to espouse your thoughts on the Rams going into the Superdome and defeating the Saints and earning a trip to the Super Bowl. This was a glorious day for me for obvious reasons. Uh, But let's get to the elephant in the room. Was it pass interference? Absolutely. Very, very egregious uh, penalty. Very blatant. But who's to say if the Saints would have converted? Who's to say? I mean, it'll be one of the biggest what is. Would they have converted? Possibly. But can we also say that Drew Brees was not really all that great in the late stages of the game? I thought when it was 13 nothing, it was going to be the Saints being the juggernaut that they are. But, you know, the Rams fought back uh, valiantly to make it a game. Um, the defense really held out. I said, I think I said it to someone out at my job. I was like, you know, Tlaib did not play in that first game. I think he was a difference maker in the second game. I think that with the full arsenal, I mean, you had C.J. Anderson. That was a new dynamic for the Saints defense to deal with. And it was pretty much one of those things where, you know, when it first looked like it, the everything was lining up. But there were missed penalties on both sides of the spectrum. There's missed penalties from... The Rams, there's missed penalties from the Saints. I mean, the pass interference was very blatant. The Rams knew there was pass interference, but 
they the NFC champs. So it wasn't called. You play on, and you know you can make all the diss songs that you want to NFL referees. You can ask for a redo of the game in the middle of Super Bowl week, which would be very very stupid because that gives your team one week's of rest. The game is the game. I mean, things happen. You know, should it be? Is it a penalty? Yes, penalties haven't been reviewed. They should not be reviewed at all. I think it's one of those things where you know you just gotta move. You gotta move onward and forward, and you know it's a hard pill to swallow. And it's something that you know if you're not if you're never gonna get over it, how you gonna move forward? So um, tough break for the Saints. Do, do I have any sympathy for their fans? I frankly do not. I understand the frustration, but I know if it was the other way around. And if it was the Panthers, I would probably be in the same boat, and I know they would be gloating that the Panthers are out. So it is what it is. Um, You just have to go from there and see what happens. The NFC South is very ruthless when it comes to uh, laying it in and torturing each other. I guess it comes from being all the teams from the old NFC West and getting beat up by the 49ers for all these years made everybody like the same. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I think it, I think it's um, one you got you got that you do have that NFC West mentality. I mean, when the, when all when the Panthers came in, of course they were paired with the Saints and Rams and Niners and and um, and um, the Falcons. And of course, you know Charlotte and Atlanta is three hours away from each other on Interstate eighty five, so they got the proximity there. And Falcons and Saints have been. Where I was from, the time the Saints entered the league, and and this was like one that was like really the first true Southern rivalry in the NFL was the Falcons and the and the Saints. I mean, it's not like the level of Cowboys and Redskins or the NFC East kind of rivalries, but I think it's very underrated. I think it's very, I think. Probably the only thing that would have entertained me about the Saints going to the Super Bowl is how much, how much flack they would have gave Falcons fans, and that's what makes everything more entertaining. I mean, you know, Carolina, Tampa Bay, that's probably the most fierce of the two of the other, probably the second fiercest rivalry in the division, and then probably Panthers Falcons. Uh, you know, you really don't look at Tampa Bay because I, I don't think they didn't have the history until two thousand two, but um, but yeah, it's it's pretty. Fans are ruthless towards one another. I mean, even even at the end. I mean, for at least one day out the week, you know, and you know, anytime it's a talking point, um, it's one of those things where you just have to grin and bear what happens. And also with the a lot of the fans and this fan bases, I mean, they could dish it out, but. It's hard for them to take it, you know, especially Saints fans. I think the Saints are the worst when it comes to getting – they could slander all they want, the fans slander every other team. But when the when I guess the tables are turned, you know, they're probably the most sensitive of them all. And I'll go on the record of saying that. It comes down to what I always say about football – especially in the bigger the games against the tougher defenses, the more red zone field goals you kick, the less chances you have to win the game. The Saints had a 
very good chance to get up, you know, 14 to nothing in this game and really dictate the pace to the Rams. But they didn't. The Rams got that fake field goal. They kind of got some momentum going. And then from then on, you know, they just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And golf really came through on a big stage in front of the country. And I think a lot of people who doubted him or maybe had questions about him really got their eyes open to him because Ty Gurley was not good in this game. And I don't At know all. I don't know if he benched himself or he got benched by McVeigh, but he really wasn't a factor after he scored his, you know, that 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 short touchdown run that he had. Um, you know, he was pretty much ineffective. And he'll be the first one to tell to say that he sucked. And, <laughs> right. And um and so that definitely was pretty alarming, you know. So when I watch the Rams and I watch because I know McVeigh, I'm you know, I'm very familiar with what he likes to do, his aggressiveness. When I watch golf play, he's just an upgraded version of Kirk Cousins. He can move out of the pocket. He'll uh-huh. scramble when he when when he has to. He's not looking to, but if he if he can get a spot in there where he can get a quick scramble up there, he'll do it. And and but he the thing that he has that Kirk Cousin didn't have is just touch on the deep ball where he if it's there he doesn't really miss it, and uh-huh. that really separates him I think from where Kirk Cousins was. In McVay's offense, where Kirk Cousins was really good intermediate throws, really good against the blitzes, but mm-hmm. not really good in getting the deep shots and getting those home run balls. Getting you know you're at the thirty five and they're coming and you get that one on one you know to get that touchdown. That's you know a touchdown and not a red zone field goal that ends up getting you beat in the fourth quarter. And I think right. that golf did a, a lot of good things. And and I just see when I watch him, like man, he's like, you know, what Kirk Cousins, what you would want Kirk Cousins to be physically and as far as what he can produce in the game. So you know, kudos to Jared Goff. You know, he definitely proven to everybody that he wasn't a bust that Jeff Fisher was, and I'm very proud for him. Right. And bittersweet when it comes to watching McVay do this because if my front office had any foresight, any type of guidance they would have understood that let's keep this dude and fire Jay Gruden and make this dude our head coach. Because in some form or fashion, this could have been the Washington football team with this type of turnaround. They don't have the talent as far as the skill positions and everything. But I think that the way that this dude coaches and his philosophy and how young he is being that the league is young too, he can talk to the players and reach the players and get those guys to understand what he's trying to do. That maybe a guy that's in his late forties, almost fifty, can't. Yeah, I think that I was gonna say, I was gonna say. Uh, do you think also that the Rams have better receivers in the Washington Football? Oh, team oh as yeah, well? yeah, 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 yeah. Everything is just it's, it's the exact same setup that Mike Marks walked into as being the former offensive coordinator of the Washington football team, going to the Rams being their offensive coordinator with Dick Vermeil and ultimately becoming the coach. Yeah, they have far better skill position players, and they're built differently because in the NFC East, it's more of a, 
you know, run the football defense. You don't really try to be explosive. You just try to capitalize when you can, you know. It's not really known for high-scoring offenses in the NFC East. It's known for, you know, grinding it out, tough defense type. But if you can integrate the things that, you know, the flashes sometimes that the Washington football team would display with – Marks with North Turner and Jay Gruden, you get those guys who's producing that and then give them real talent. It's just so bittersweet to watch. I'm happy for those guys. I'm happy for golf. Again, like I said, because, you know, everybody was down on him after his first year. Everybody thought last year was a mirage. And in the game that they were down and, you know, with all the marbles and big time eyes, you know, on it, he came through and um, they came through. So good for them. And, uh, you know, Sean Payton, I don't know, man. He could have bleeded the clock out even after they didn't, you know, after they got the long pass and they got down there within the red zone. I agree. He threw a pass that stopped the clock. They ran it that, you know, got some negative yards. And then you had a third down throw that was complete. It's not like they really wasted any time to try to, you know, compromise the Rams. I mean, the Rams had timeouts, but, I mean, (laughs) let's try to squeeze this for all this worth. So, you know, it, it. there's times to be the plays can be made to win the game early in the first quarter, and I just think those two red zone field goals to make it six nothing instead of fourteen nothing was the difference. If you get they score yeah. a touchdown there, I don't think the Rams can overcome that fourteen nothing deficit. Yeah. Speaking of trying to overcome a fourteen to nothing deficit, the Kansas City Chiefs, the team with the most explosive offense in NFL, they win the coin toss at home and they defer to the New England Patriots. Who promptly chew up nine minutes of the first quarter in that drive, that very first drive of the game with a touchdown and proceed to stifle the Chiefs for the whole first half. I think the Chiefs had like 35 yards of offense. It's 14 to nothing as the Patriots score a late touchdown in the second quarter. And it is like, you know, oh man, this is not the formula the Chiefs needed to get out to to try to win this football game. Uh, they came out in the second half, and Patrick Mahomes, they lit it up. They went straight down the field, like four plays, scored a touchdown, and it was on, and the game was on from there, and we got one of the best AFC Championship games in recent memory. The Patriots, though, in overtime, they win it 37-31. Tom Brady wins the toss. The Patriots win the toss. Tom Brady converts three third and tens in overtime, and they score a touchdown, and it's a walk-off. Rex Burkhead, so – Tom Brady does it again. Ninth Super Bowl. Him and Bill Belichick together. It's amazing. I mean, whether or not we can take the blinders of the fandom, I mean, are we are we sick of the Patriots? Probably, most likely, yes. But uh, you and I were talking before the show how we need to appreciate this talent. And, and whether or not it's a uh, system or individual talent or it's a combination of the two and when you have a system when you have the right people in the system and you execute the plans in the system the system is successful and how many times have we tried to see uh, somebody dethrone this team plenty but it's you might as well until uh, until otherwise, you might as well just pencil New England as the AFC representative, at least until this era is over. You know, there's a generation of 
Boston fans that don't know that the Patriots were a bad team, I don't know what they're going to do once this uh, era is over. So it's something you, like we said, like you said um, earlier before the show, we got to appreciate what we have here. And, and um, it's just something that, just something that we just got to enjoy and keep going forward. Now, what I would do, what I would say about the, what I would say about the uh, Chiefs, you know, there's some bright future definitely ahead of them. Something that we got to just continue to watch and watch this team grow, watch this team progress. And I think that it's going to be definitely something fun and something special to watch. So I came to this conclusion after they came back and beat the Seahawks. It's something that Larry Bird said about Magic Johnson after he hit that game-winning shot in the Boston Garden, the baby hook over McKellen Parrish. He's just the best I've ever seen. And I grew up watching Joe Montana and, and John Elway, and I thought that, man, you know, those guys got the ball in the last two minutes. You know, you're, you're, you're done for. Go ahead and get your blindfold and your cigarette. But – Tom Brady's even taking that to an even higher level, man, in Super Bowls and championship games, uh, regular season games. It's just like, you know, if this dude has any amount of time, more than, you know, 10 seconds and he's getting the kickoff, you can't feel safe. And Belichick, with the way that they don't have a system, he doesn't marry himself to anything but winning the game that's ahead. I don't know if I've ever told this story on this before, but there is a guy that I met who played in the league and he said, you know, I was a scrub. I was, you know, back up, you know, third screen at best. Somebody got hurt, you know, maybe I could move up. And he said, I played for the Bills and I played for the Jets. And I said, oh man, that's cool. I said, who, you know, was the best coach that you played for thinking Marv Levy, Bill Parcells. He goes, Bill Belichick. He goes, I was the defensive back. Bill Belichick was my, you know, defensive back coach, defensive coordinator. And he was like, man, this dude was just so smart. And he was like, uh, he was like, I'm going to tell you how smart he was. He was like, we practice all week for the Colts. We're in the playoffs. He's like, we're getting ready to play the Colts. He's like, um, we practice for Peyton Manning all week. We have this game plan. We're ready to go. He's like, Peyton Manning comes out. He goes right down the field on us scores a touchdown. He said he calls the whole defense over to the sideline. Bill Belichick does as the defense coordinator. He tells them, forget everything that we did all week. He threw, he draws like four coverages up and says, these are the only four coverages we're going to play for the rest of this game. And the dude was like, they didn't score any more that game. And he said, that's why Bill Belichick was the best coach that he'd ever played. Wow. Yeah, and, and that just goes to the fact that they just do what they need to do to win that game. So if it calls for running the ball heavy and Rob Gronkowski's going to block all game or three-fourths of the game, then that's what they do, and Rob Gronkowski's cool with it, and they eat running the ball. Then they need it in the fourth quarter to come back, and you don't think they got the explosive receivers to do it, he finds Edelman somehow over and over and over again, you know, gets Hogan involved and then, you know, sprinkles in a grok here and there. It's just, it's just amazing watching it develop and hearing Tony Romo call it 
at the same time. It was just amazing to watch it work out the way that it did. And unfortunately for the Chiefs, which led to the news that happened today, we all knew that if it came down to their defense having to be on the field to preserve a moment like this, that it would probably not work out for them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the main concern about the Chiefs coming into the playoffs anyway was their defense. And even amongst their fans, they even said that we're kind of concerned about our team's defense because it hasn't been as great as it was as of late. So yeah, definitely putting the on the putting that honest on the defense with the game on the line, definitely not an ideal situation. So today, Chiefs defensive coordinator Bob Setton has been let go. So there's a lot of speculation that maybe Rex Ryan could maybe be a, the lead candidate to replace Bob Sutton. Um, you know, Rex Ryan, you say what you want to say about him as a head coach, but as a defensive coordinator, he's like Wade Phillips. You know, that's the job that he's probably most suited for in the NFL, and he's damn good. And they got a lot of talent over there. They just need to be coached up a little bit better. And if they can pair a bona fide defense with that offense, then, you know, lights out could be a possibility. I think that the biggest thing that basically won this game for the Patriots was they just started out 14 to nothing. I think if it starts out the other way with the Chiefs start out 14 to nothing and they can maybe try to, uh, you know, harass Tom Brady a little bit more, they can get aggressive and afford to maybe, you know, blitz him a little bit more and, you know, be a little bit more reckless in the secondary and kind of come after him and put a lot of pressure on him. I think the Chiefs may run away with that game. But with the Patriots being able to take the – I don't understand why the Chiefs did not take the ball. But that drive in the very first drive that took all the first quarter basically set the tone for the game, and the Chiefs were fighting uphill from there. And they just ran out of time, and their defense ran out of gas. Agreed. We witnessed the Andy Reid School of Clock Management. There was a lot of bad (laughs) – Bad, bad, bad. Well, you know, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. He did take a timeout with like 45 seconds ago, which actually kind of left them enough time to go. I mean, they they did a great job of getting that field goal to send it in overtime with, you know, like 35 seconds to go. So, you know, it wasn't too bad. It didn't cost them too much this time. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing you may the thing you may say is right there. Once the Patriots got into the red zone, or it, it was apparent that the Chiefs' defense wasn't going to stop him, he could have maybe took a timeout or two on defense just to kind of give his guys a rest, and maybe you know they right. just break the momentum, kind of like a college basketball coach does. But uh, other than that, I wouldn't kill it. This wasn't the most egregious clock management for Andy Reid that that, that he's been a part of. I can, I can, I can agree with that. I can do that. <laughs> so you know, the playoffs have been you know pretty entertaining. Dwayne, before we move off of the playoffs and get into the coaching carousel, kind of give me your biggest surprises, uh, whether it was a, a disappointment or you know a shock uh, of the playoffs uh, comes to mind. Well, I would say probably the biggest shock was probably Alshon Jeffrey, the ball going through his hands in the divisional playoff. Uh, I definitely had the Saints on the Eagles had the Saints on the ropes and Jeffrey was really, really sure handed out of all the times to have a drop. He let the ball go through his hands uh, right into uh, Marshawn Lattimore's hands and 
uh, they took it the other way. That was probably the biggest um, surprise of them all. For me, I would say another big, I would probably say the biggest shock for me, the divisional weekend. Uh, I was definitely disappointed in the Chargers showing in the divisional playoff against the uh, Patriots. And I kind of figured everything that the Ravens did not do, the Patriots pretty much were like, okay, we're going to do this. And they went on ahead and picked uh, LA. LAC apart. Um, probably their wild card weekend. Of course, the uh, missed field goal for Cody Parkey, uh, the city of Chicago, the Bears mascot, pretty much summing up everybody's uh, reaction in the city of Chicago after it double doinked off the upright and crossbar. But we did learn it was tipped um, at the end, like few hours after the game was over and that was probably the best game of the wild card weekend because all the other ones were pretty much well in hand and then finally um someone in the AFC South really needs to take the throne from the Houston Texans whether it's the Colts Titans or Jaguars uh reason being that the Texans every time they get a home playoff game they almost most likely throw it away um I don't know if it's um the execution or the game planning, but every time the Texans get the Saturday afternoon wild card game, and every Saturday afternoon they are ended up going home. Yeah, that was going to be my biggest uh, thing that I pointed out was just the Texans. I just did not expect them to flame out the way that they did. And you know, losing a playoff game happens, but I mean, they totally were just you know that first half. I mean, Indianapolis just jumped on them. And they never seem to recover. The defense, you know, never seemed to really recover. Seems like uh, the Colts kind of pulled the parachute after they got the 21 nothing lead. And uh, they just coasted on in. But, you know, Deshaun Watson didn't look dynamic. Hopkins, a little banged up. You know, they had lost to Marius Thomas so they, and Will Fuller. So, you know, they were kind of down some threats on the outside. But just their performance in the regular season, they won so many games in a row and, it just looked like they were trending to be something different than their playoff history. But your history is your history, and it is that for a reason. So this is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. And you can find Know the Score on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify. And you can also check us out on the CSPN YouTube page. So Dwayne... Of course, with the football season, regular season coming to an end and the playoffs beginning, there is the coaching carousel that begins to spin. We had eight teams decide that they were going to separate themselves from their current coaching situations, and all eight positions are now filled. Uh, the Packers were the first to get on the board. They ma- they named uh, former Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur head coach. So I know that you have a lot of intimate knowledge of the Titans and what their offense looked like uh, this year. Matt LaFleur, I think it was his second year as offensive coordinator, or maybe yeah. his first, but I know that I it, think it was his first. Right. I know that he's a very new coach to the Titans, and now he's former coach on the Washington football team staff with Sean McVay. You'll understand the, the theme here coming up very shortly. But uh, what do you think about <laughs> – Matt LaFleur um, taking over as the head coach of the Packers. Uh, Packers moving on from Mike McCarthy, and he gets a chance to work with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur and the things that he was able to do with um, Marcus Mariota, 
I think the the best thing about this uh, situation for for um, Mr. Lafleur is that he's going to he's going to do some unique things. I think once the Packers get a running back that they can rely on, aside from Aaron Rodgers, so they'll put all of the honest on Aaron. I think that this is going to be a team that's going to be a force to be reckoned with once again. Um, he's got some innovation there. He does a great job at um, doing what he needs to do to get his team prepared. Um, working with uh, a guy like Marcus Mariota, uh, of course, who has a Marcus Mariota work with at this point because the next office coordinator is going to be his fifth in five years. Uh, but he's he's going to do some uh, great, uh, pretty great things. I can't wait to see what happens when he gets um, gets to the team and see what plans he has. But it's going to be very, very interesting. It's a great hire. I was not expected, probably because of the fact that he was a coordinator. For not too long, but apparently the Packers were impressed enough with the fact that uh, Mariota is improvement, his his progress, and able to um, and his play calling and the execution of the plays. So he was wild enough, and you know, get an offensive minded coach, and hopefully he gets a good defensive coaching staff to where that you know the. Defense improves because Aaron Rodgers, he's getting up there. And and we also need to make sure that A, he's protected, and B, uh, he's got a defense that will help him out a lot more. Cliff Kingsbury, we thought he was going to be the offensive coordinator for the USC Trojans out in Hollywood and maybe become the head coach if things didn't work out for Coach Helton out there. But instead, he gets released, doesn't take – didn't want the job because the Arizona Cardinals had an offer waiting for him. And now Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And he will inherit the number one pick in the upcoming NFL draft. This was uh, probably one of the the shock hires. I mean, we already had a shock firing with the, with the um, firing of uh, Steve Wilkes. I mean, God, I didn't even get a chance to really do anything for the team and and I guess for Cliff Kingsbury, I mean good for him. He goes to the NFL, he gets a quarterback that the Cardinals drafted to put their faith in Josh Rosen. If he might have Larry Fitzgerald for one more year. So that's all depending on if Larry Fitzgerald decides to come back. Um he does have Christian Kirk. I think Christian Kirk went to Texas Tech, so uh, if he did go to Texas Tech, that's actually a good thing for both for both um, Kingsbury and Kirk because Kirk knows what Kingsbury is uh, capable of. Uh, I guess with the success of Patrick Mahomes and the, the air raid style and Victor Mayfield also with the similar style, the Cardinals feel like, hey, we can bring in the guy who who knows about this stuff and who can make our quarterback this way. Do I think it's going to work? Uh, 
I'm not confident about it. I guess it just depends on who the Cardinals pick. Do they shore up their offensive line? Do they get another playmaker? Do they get somebody yet? I mean, they got David Johnson. Can David Johnson get back on track because he was not himself? I don't know if it was because of the coaching of the staff last year or individual performance. We'll just have to see. Um, I'm not a fan of it, but it's just one of those things where you just have to see how it plays out. All right, I'm going to run down the rest of these, and then you can kind of voice your opinion about uh, which other hire sticks out to you. We have Bruce Arians going to the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Broncos, they hired former Bears defensive coordinator Vic Vangio to be their new head coach. The Browns promoted offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens to head coach. Adam Gase, the former Dolphins coach, is named the coach of the Jets. And the Dolphins and the Bengals reportedly are set to hire assistant coaches who are still currently uh, residing in the playoffs as the Dolphins are hired are expected to hire the Patriots assistant coach and defensive coordinator Brian Flores and the Bengals are expected to name the Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor as their next head coach. Well, so yeah, probably the the uh, Brian Flores probably sticks out to me only because I think he was one of the probably the only minority candidate hired this year, if I'm not mistaken. He was correct, um, correctly, sir. Yeah, so uh, considering all the minority coaches that got fired this past season and only one getting hired this season, does kind of raise an eyebrow a little bit. Like I said, the Cardinals uh, showed why they're the Cardinals uh, once again after a few solid good years. I think they feel like they missed the mark on Steve Wilkes. Uh, also, the Bruce Arians hire stands out. Uh, he's going to have a lot of work to do fixing uh, Jameis Winston, trying to make him a a uh, quarterback that is on the level of Breeze, Ryan, and Newton. If if uh, if Bruce Arians can get Jameis Winston to go from, he throws like 24 interceptions. If you can get him to go from like 24 interceptions to like 16, the Bucks might make uh-huh. the playoffs next year. Really, right, truly. exactly. I, and and my, my whole thing is um, they might have a chance now with uh, Bruce Arians as a head coach. I don't think Bruce Arians has done a bad job anywhere he's been. I mean, look at what he did, filling it for Pagano and Indy. And then look what he did with the Cardinals for the tenure he was there. It's probably a reason why he left uh, Arizona because of... Well, Carson Palmer, Carson Palmer retired, and he didn't want to go through having to go through what was about to happen, which was you're going to have exactly. to get a young quarterback and, you know, go through that whole thing. He didn't want to do that. Exactly. I mean, he was willing to do it with the Browns and develop Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield's a better talent than Josh Rosen. But, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see what the Bucks do. Uh, the last time I gave the Buccaneers props and showed faith in them, they let me down. So I'm not going to go on the limits. Do that again this time around. So we'll just see how it goes uh, during training camp and things of that sort. 
Before we move off the coaching carousel, we'll talk about the coaches of our two respective teams that we like to follow. So we'll first talk about uh, Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera will be brought back, uh, but he will be making a lot of changes to his staff. So what are your feelings about uh, David David Tepper, your owner, uh, basically giving Ron a vote of confidence, but the staff change is coming down this year? I'm in full support of it. I think it was a good move by David Tepper. Uh, one thing he has always stressed in in the time that he has uh, been the owner and learning from being a minority owner of the Steelers and being around that environment is uh, the word patience. And so, I mean, it's not like Rob Rivera went 2-14. and 14. They got out to a 6-2 start. They went 7-8. and eight. They showed a lot of great improvement when he took over the play calling. Um, Eric Washington is still going to be the defensive coordinator, but he's just not going to be calling the plays. Uh, Rivera's going to be calling the plays, and I think it was a good move by Carolina keeping Rivera because had Rivera got fired on, on a Black Monday or – at the end of the season or on at any point, he would have been hired the very next day. And so that's how good of a coach he is. Uh, I think a lot of people were wondering. A lot of people were watching the Panthers situation. So I think it was a good job by Davis Hepper not pulling the trigger. I applaud the staff changes. I mean, Brady Hoke was on the defensive line coach, and how does he still have a job? Jobs and Football, I do not know, but he's no longer there. Uh, um, so I, I'm in full support of it. And and uh, when I did go on the tour with my grandparents to the Panther Stadium, I actually saw uh, Ron, Ron Rivera and North Turner actually talking a lot of football. They didn't get a chance of – they're in a good conversation, so we didn't want to interrupt anything. So, um, But it was definitely good to know that. Uh, good to know that this organization is going to stay stable with the coaching and Rivera's a player's coach. He's a great coach. Uh, like I said, we we just hit a very very rough patch. I think that Steelers game kind of kind of was the beginning of the end, and we and the ship just could not be right until the end. So we'll see what happens going forward. Um, I'm Definitely looking forward to seeing what happens. Amir Rivera proved he was a great defensive coordinator, and I think all the plays will make them a very effective defense because they they got the talent. The Washington football team will be retaining head coach Jay Gruden. Um, it's just a case where everybody knows that if you come to D.C., you're not going to really be in charge the way you want to. So nobody wants to come. So why fire the coach you got? You might as well just, you know, keep him there. Um, you know, he, you know, he's had injuries. So you can always throw that up in the press to justify the reason why, you know, he's still around. Uh, it's just going to be a case of what they do at quarterback going forward. It doesn't look like Alex Smith is going to be anywhere near a football field in 2019. So um, the draft, um, can they uh, keep Colt McCoy healthy for a whole season if they want to go that route? Does uh, 
Josh Johnson have a chance to, you know, win out the job in, in training camp. So, you know, those would be the things to kind of watch out for. Um, unfortunately, the thing that most Washington football team fans want to happen is Bruce Allen getting fired. That is not going to happen. He's still going to be the head of the football operations. And until that changes, um, you know, this team will be very year to year in their thinking and every four years they'll probably spring up and win a division at nine and seven, 10 and six and have a playoff game at home. They may win and get bounced out, you know, when they play a better team in the, in the divisional round. So kind of the same old hamster wheel as a Washington football fan. So no changes as of yet, but if things start off slow, I think that uh, at this point, Dan Snyder will get back into things and, and a lot of the old tactics that he used to use will come back to the forefront. And uh, Jay Gruden may not have the, that much of a leash if, you know, they with the attendance and kind of the other problems off the field that they've encountered this year. Um, they really need to, to win some football games in 2019 to kind of get people back into the – into wanting to even think about the Washington football team in good graces and good spirits because it's really bad. Yeah, it's definitely definitely been a roller coaster in that tenure. Definitely, I think I'm sure you know as a fan of the team, it's kind of getting is it getting old pretty much. Yeah, it's getting old because there's a lot of people around the team. Like I think that a lot of people have their ways they feel about him but Chris Cooley is one of the smartest people and he knows the team and he said from day one if they let Sean McVay go interview he's not coming back to this team he he identified Sean McVay early he identified Kyle Shanahan early he was like these dudes are going to make really good coaches he was like you know we need to have some foresight it would be a move that would be bold because they're so young, but he's like, they can handle it because, you know, they're smart. They have, a, you know, they've been around football their whole life. And, 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 and we don't have people like that in positions to make real moves for the team. Bruce Allen is a business politician, you know, type of guy. He's a smoozer. He's not a football dude. Right. And, and that's and that's where we're behind in so many areas when it comes to these other teams. We don't have football people doing football things. We got business people doing football things. And that's not going to work. And it it hasn't worked for 20 years. And it won't work as long as Snyder continues to to go that route. If he decides, hey, you know what, Bruce, you were good. You, You know, you did some good things or whatever. But, you know, it's time for me to really give it up to a football, football guy. And let a young football guy come in and tear us down and let us be bad, have two, three, and 13 seasons back-to-back and really rebuild and say, Dan, hey, you know, it's going to be it's gonna be ugly for two seasons. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And once we get these two seasons worth of ugly out of the way, then we might get eight or nine good seasons and two or three great ones. But we got to go through these two bad ones first. And nobody's ever been able to – to get him to understand that we want to win now, but uh, you don't want to make the sacrifice to win now. Mm-hmm. And 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 it takes you. And 
Uh, this will be my last point. They don't understand that don't go chasing stars. Don't go chasing people. Okay, they had this dude, Kevin Hogan. He was on the team in the preseason. He was the third quarterback. He played more than Colt McCoy and Alex Smith. He played the majority of the preseason games. He looked really good. Guess what they do? Oh, because we need like 17 running backs, they cut him. Okay, three years ago, they draft Nate Sudfeld. He's on the team for two seasons. Then guess what they do coming in out of training camp? They cut him. Oh, guess what he does? Goes to Philadelphia. Guess what he did this year? Help Philadelphia win a game so they can continue their playoff run when um, when Foles got hurt. It's like, what are y'all doing? You know, Kirk Cousins. Right. Hey, guess right. what? He's the quarterback for your team. He may not be the best quarterback in the league. He may not do the things that you always want him to do, but he's the best freaking quarterback for your team. Go ahead and pay him this $17 million in, two, in 2016. I know it sounds crazy to give Kirk Cousins $17 million in 2016, but in two more years, it'll be a steal. No, we go through the whole give the man $50 million and still don't retain him. So that's that's my football team, man. So that's the dysfunction that, that we're dealing with. So until until the front office changes, then the trickle down will always be the rot will always be from the head down. And the very end thing is the product on the field. And this year, the fans uh, voiced their displeasure. Uh, there wasn't a sellout for the first time in who knows when. And spent too much time on that. We're going to move on to some basketball talk, college and NBA so here are some uh, major stories that have gone down since the last time we recorded. Uh, Tom Thibodeau, he was out as the coach in Minnesota Timberwolves. So, you know, the turmoil and the and the summer and the beginning of the season of Tibbs finally comes to an end for Minnesota. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. of the Mavs, is he on the trading block or isn't he? Um, it's been reports that he is, then there's been reports that he isn't, then there's reports that he was again. And apparently he's rejoined the team, so I don't know if he is or isn't, but looks like the Luka Doncic uh, train is, is going to run over Dennis Smith over there in Dallas. Uh, James Harden, he's in the incredible zone right now. He scored 30 points in 20 straight games. Um, he's had 40 points. He had a 40-point stretch of like four or five games in a row there mixed in, in this. He's just been in another zone. Uh, Boogie Cousins, he started his first game for the Warriors. He scored 14 points. He hit three threes. They also fouled out in about 16 minutes. <laughs> so he, he got he got all his money's worth in his first game. Uh, Carmelo Anthony has finally been traded by the Rockets to the Bulls. He's going to become a free agent once he clears waivers, and then he can sign where wherever he wants to. Uh, we'll stop right here for a second. Who do you think Carmelo is going to go to? He's going to have his choice. You think he's going to try to find his way out to the Lakers? <sighs> I mean, it's possible. But do you really want to rip that chem- Like, It's really about chemistry. Who is Where is Melo going to go where he can be himself? And maybe the Lakers is an environment for him. You know, you'll have LeBron facilitating. You got, you got plenty of facilitators on the team. And uh, but who does he take minutes from? Does he take minutes from Ingram? Does he take minutes from Kuzma? Which 
likely he will not, but um it's it's gonna I don't I don't know who's gonna be who's gonna take the minutes from, but it is highly highly I think the Lakers are probably the destination. Um I haven't really looked at who is available. My my two places would be the Lakers or the Heat, because the Heat are yeah, the right Heat there on the edge of the playoffs right now, and they're down. Um, what's my point guard's name? Dragic. He's Dragic. out. Yeah, he's out. So they they definitely need some more scoring. So yeah, and you know Wade's down there, so it'd be another you know friend that he could pair up with. It didn't work out with Chris Paul, but you know that's just because. It didn't work out with D'Antoni in New York, and I don't know why they thought it was going to work out with D'Antoni in Houston. It's not like D'Antoni right. changed. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and I think that was that was my kind of thing. Like, why would you go to Houston though? And you had these issues prior, so so I think that probably I could agree with those two. Uh, definitely Miami, especially they need they need. Lady scoring, and who knows how long um, Dragons is going to be out, and they need that definitely. Uh, some college basketball news Duke, they suffered a loss at home as number one to an unranked Syracuse team. Uh, Trey Jones, the point guard for Duke, went out within like the first seven minutes of this game. And uh, my theory that I've been telling folks all season kind of proved to be true is I think that you can play 2 3 zone against Duke. Make them shoot and make Zion Williams, you know, have to come over a couple of guys' backs to get offensive rebounds. You can get him in foul trouble. And they don't have a lot of really, you know, knockdown shooters. They got guys who can get streaky and hit some few a few in a row. But they don't have that, oh, don't leave him open type of guy. And uh, Syracuse went in there and they shocked him. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, though, that was a really, that was a very great, game very interesting game uh, in the fact that you know when I looked at this I, had a, I was watching with the raised eyebrows like okay Syracuse in this game you know are they gonna falter but uh, they got they got some guys who are really gritty who really battle it out and and, and those guys made a huge difference uh, I want to say Tyus Battle is one of them um the way he was, the way he willed that team, you know, through regulation, through overtime, and and I I think the zone the zone did create problems for Duke. I mean, if you either go zone or a box of one or triangle on the two, it will do some some uh, damage for a lot of these uh, athletes. And I think not being able to see a zone. Like seeing a zone and wondering, like, how do you solve it? They had a little tough time trying to figure that out. Steve Alford, he got fired as a UCLA coach. Uh, they had a slow start to their season. They took a bad loss, and he got the Evo. So there's going to be a good job uh, with an opening coming up. At the end of the season, a lot of people are kind of earmarking Rick Patino. That's where he might show back up. So look out for who's going to be, you know, some names and candidates for the UCLA job in the end of the season. And Tennessee, they are the new number one team in the nation. Rick Barnes moved around from 
one football league to another one, but he's accomplished getting a basketball team in that league to number one, the same as he did with Texas, and now he's done the same thing with Tennessee. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle the bullseye on their back. Because, you know, in college basketball, you know, that is the that is the, the mark to get knocked off is, you know, the new number one. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I had a coworker tell me Michigan was going to be number one. And I'm like, they're going to Wisconsin. <laughs> they're going to Wisconsin. He said on Friday, this past Friday, they were going to be number one. I'm like, they're going to Wisconsin on Saturday. That is not, I don't care how good or bad the Badgers are. Madison is a tough place to play it, and sure enough, Michigan lost. So, needless to say, he got trolled pretty much the whole day for that. So, um, do I think Tennessee's going to respond at, as the number one? They almost lost Alabama. They almost didn't even make it the number one. So, um, we'll just have to see. Um, how, like you said, how well they handle the target on their back. I don't, I think if they're, I think they'll probably slip up at a certain point to who they slip up against. I do not know. Um, I do know they almost, they're up 12 against Alabama. Alabama had the lead briefly and this was at home at that. And then they found a way to get the win. Um, and then. They do have against. They do have a game at at Nashville against Vanderbilt um, uh, tomorrow night. So Vandy will probably be the game. Probably be sold out at Memorial Gym, and Vandy will probably come out and get their best shot. And then West Virginia, they play West West Virginia comes to Knoxville on Saturday, part of the SEC Big Twelve Challenge, which also. College game day will be in Lexington, Kentucky for Kansas and Kentucky. Yeah, that's going to be a very interesting matchup. It looks like Kentucky is starting to hit their stride a little bit. Their guys are starting to get some experience, and Cal is starting to kind of figure them out. Uh, Before we move off of college basketball and talk about some baseball really fast, give an assessment of what you're seeing out of Kansas. They took a tough loss to West Virginia over the weekend, but they bounced back, got a win at home against Iowa State. Uh, so what do you see from, game. what do you see from the Jayhawks right now? Well, there's a log jam at the Big Twelve right now. So I think what I'm seeing from Kansas is that as long as they win at home is the Big Twelve will still go through Lawrence because yeah, they lost at Iowa State, they lost at West Virginia. Uh Texas Tech, who's been picked by many to dethrone Kansas and their streak. Um, they've played, they've, uh, they've lost two in a row. They lost against Iowa state at home and then they lost at Baylor over the weekend. So with that being said, I think with Kansas, though, um, they're trying, they're still trying to figure things out, especially without, um, Doak in the middle, who's been done for the season with the wrist injury. Uh, so they're trying to figure, figure themselves out. In terms of the identity that they want to go in, I think also with Sylvia D'Souza's situation, you know, will he come back? Will he not? Will he come back? Will he be eligible? Um, what's the NCAA doing? Of course, with all the black cloud hanging around that situation, that's something we'll talk about later on. But 
I think so far, once they start to figure it out in February, I think it'll be something to, they'll build off of and move forward with. All right. So our last segment, we're going to talk about a little bit of baseball as the new class of the 2019 Hall of Fame was just announced. We have four members elected. We had Mariano Rivera. He received 100% of the vote, the first player ever in the history of the Hall of Fame to be a unanimous choice. We had Roy Halladay, Mike Mussina, and Edgar Martinez. Four very deserving candidates and guys to get in. Glad that Edgar Martinez got in. Uh, one of the most feared uh, designated hitters of uh, the generation at the time. Uh, good to see him and Harold Baines get in back-to-back. So, Mike Mussina as well, big Orioles fan growing up. So, seen a lot of games that Mike Mussina pitched. He, he lost his share of big ones, but, um, you know, for the longevity of the career, definitely worthy. Uh, Roy Halladay pitched the best game I've ever seen in the playoffs. Uh, no hitter. Uh, when the Phillies went on to win the World Series, uh, just dominant, unfortunately, that this will be a posthumous induction. And then, of course, like we said, the Sandman, Mariano Rivera, the best to ever do it when it comes to closing out games. Um, he, I mean, really, he only had like, you know, one hiccup in the uh, postseason. That was when the Arizona Diamondbacks got to him. Um, but other than that, you know, once Mo Rivera stepped out there, you know, you started gathering gathering your stuff up, especially when the Yankees were at home and getting ready to hear New York, New York. I will say that, you know, Mariano Rivera, definitely the greatest closer ever. Like, and, you know, this is, this is an era where growing up as a kid before Rivera was Lee Smith, but Mariano Rivera was on a whole nother level and definitely well-deserving of this unanimous vote. All the inductees are very deserving. You know, I would say it's definitely, once again, it's one of those things where you definitely appreciate what you were able to witness, you know, in your prime, you know, in your younger years and in your prime years. So it's definitely... Wonderful to grow up and watch these guys, you know, make it to where they are. Congratulations again to Mariano Rivera, Roy Halladay, Mike Messina, and Edgar Martinez for being inducted into this year's Baseball Hall of Fame. So, Dwayne, at this point, man, open it up to you for your shout-outs, thank yous, and all that good stuff. Shout-out to all the listeners. Shout-out to you, Don. Much love. Shout-out to... Um, you know, just seeing news part of the family, and then also, uh, shout out to Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool still maintaining their grip on the Premier League, and then you know, Manchester City's right there. But uh, a lot of people wondering if it's going to be the end of the 29 year drought. Liverpool has won a early title since 1990. Uh, but they have had one great season uh, so far. Uh, still plenty of soccer left to play, especially with the, the rest of the Premier League season. Uh, Manchester United is coming up. They have been great since letting go of Jose Mourinho. And then also, uh, let's talk about domestic um, footy as well in terms of uh, MLS. They revamped in their whole playoff format where 
the top seed gets a bye, and then there will be uh, there'll be other. I want to say it's the top seven that get in, and it's a single elimination format. So uh, definitely every round's a knockout round. Uh, the top seed, the conference champions of the East and West get a bye. And this is probably going to be the format going forward, especially being that uh, there's now 26, 25, 26 teams. Yeah, 25 teams in the MLS now with the addition of FC Cincinnati. Nashville's getting a team. Austin's now getting a team. So there's about one to three spots left. I think Major League Soccer wants to go for 28 to 30. Um, so uh, David Tepper, Panthers owner, was also talking about bringing that MLS team to the Carolinas as well. So we'll see what happens there. All right. I'd like to thank Dwayne for joining me. I'd like to thank all the listeners for listening to Another Score. Thank you for bringing with us. We haven't been as consistent as we'd like to be, but we're still going to try to put out these shows as often as we can. Please head over to amazon.com do some shopping with them help keep the podcast free go through cspn.us class that says to keep our podcast free at the top of the page after you click on that tab click on amazon do your shopping as you normally would help support the podcast you can also support the podcast by becoming a member of our patreon page you get exclusive podcasts when you sign up on patreon.com forward slash cspn media uh, sign up for a backstage pass. You'll get exclusive content only on Patreon. Some good interviews, some uh, behind-the-scenes um, podcasts and things like that. So a lot of good stuff over on the Patreon page as well. So please support the CSPN. Um, remember to you know rate and review, give us feedback, subscribe to the podcast as well. Um, we greatly appreciate everybody listening and downloading for each and every podcast here on the network. So, for my co-host, the Libra Icon, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now, you know the score.